Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, Chief Creative Officer at DeMassimo Goldstein, an inspiring action agency in New York City. Today, I get to talk to Mike Lascarbo. He is the CEO of Person, which is an HR consulting firm in Minneapolis, but he used to be the CEO and chairman of Carmichael Lynch. And before that, he was an award-winning, amazing creative writer at Carmichael Lynch and other places. His story is, is really great. He has always been, maybe not always been, but he became a, a real champion of inclusiveness and diversity while working at Carmichael Lynch. And that sort of catapulted him to leave there and, and, and retire, as it were, and, and create Person Organization, which is a HR consulting, but it really they really uh, focus on, on diversity and inclusion. And uh, this show has always been about getting people outside of the normal streams to hear about this crazy industry called advertising, where you get to think up stuff and write it down and change the culture. So, you know, I was really interested in talking to him about all that, and we did. He's a really smart guy, obviously very talented and, and very nice. And he came into the studio, so it was, it was great to see him and meet him, and I'm a big fan. But first, I got to tell you about Ad House Advertising School. Advertising Age called Ad House New York's newest, smallest, and arguably hippest ad school. Their philosophy? An ad class is only as relevant as the professional who teaches it. Ad house classes are taught by the best in the biz in the agencies where they work. You get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. To apply, go to adhousenyc.com and for the latest news, follow adhousenyc on Facebook. So you should do that because they're a sponsor and, and you know they're why you're getting this. So come on, check it out. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Mike Lascarbo. So Mike Lascarbo. Yes, sir. Thank you for, for coming to New York City. Uh, thank you. I was here anyhow, and, uh, and it was just uh, moseying up from Brooklyn over to nice. East 23rd Street. Yeah. Nice. Um, so what we like to do is is start off with uh, where you grew up and, and sort of your, your childhood and how you, how you sort of found this industry. Wow. Yeah, it was an unorthodox way into the business, um, which, you know, and maybe we'll get to that, but it's it's less common now Yeah. for you know, kids like I was, and I was a kid. I started when I was 19. I dropped out of community college to go wow. and work at a little ad agency in Minneapolis, which turned into a job at Fallon, you know, when there were 25 people there and Fallon was, a, became a really big agency. Wow. So yeah. you, you worked directly with Tom McGilligan. I did. And Tom hired me. Yeah. My God. Yeah. That's, uh, in terms of writers, I think nobody's better. And I often go back and I, I just take that page, like, Hands up if you've heard of Tom McGilligan. Have you ever read that yeah. blog post? Uh, was that yours? Dave, I think it was Dave Dye. Yeah, Dave Dye. Over in England, yeah. Uh, and uh, all those ads are just like, I show them the copywriters. It's like, just write ads like this. Start here. Yeah. And just, you know. I think the secret with Tom, and he, he beat us all up so well um, that, that it stuck, is he just would do back then, you know, that you'd start at headlines and yeah. he'd write 200 of them. Yeah. So you're seeing, you were seeing the best of the best and he had enough patience with himself to, to sit down and do that. Um, and demanded of the rest of us. And we were 
some of us were just kids. Right. So it was, you didn't know what was going to come out. Yeah. <laughs> but once in a while, something great did. And yeah. you would point to it and say that one. So yeah. That was it's all about start. quantity. That's that's what I think. It, it was, you know, it, yeah. it was choice. I think it still is. It still is. It's yeah. editing, right? Yeah. Throughout the crap, you stuff. It's just get, get it all out yeah. on the on the page. Um, but where did you, you grew up in Minneapolis? I did. In, in, in Hopkins, a little uh, blue collar town. Um just west of Minneapolis, and you know we had a main street, and it was very Mayberry. Yeah, um, and it's it's been almost it's been a little gentrified now. I know. Okay. Yeah, we have it's a fancy brewery out there. We have a couple of those trendy breweries in Hopkins now. Are you? I live just west of there. Yeah. Um, See, you 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 go back every now and then for, for oh dinners yeah and constantly things. yeah yeah. Yeah. My parents uh, live a block off Main Street. Oh my god. Are still there? Still, you know, the young people that I worked with the last ten years. Yeah. I think when I mentioned that. You know, I was going over to see my parents. They must have thought they must be 140 <laughs> years old, for God's sake. <laughs> right? <They're> mummies. <laughs> but, you know, they had yeah. that nice Catholic family, five kids in six years. And wow. In their early what 20s. What did they do? My dad was a construction superintendent. Mm. Um, that's a, a foreman. You yeah. Know. He had dirt on his boots. Yeah. Right? And uh, my mom him, was a school teacher. Wow. A grade school teacher. Yeah. For 40 years. And so that's why it might have been a little unusual because the people I ended up working with were either art school super talents that we yeah. recognized early on or came from a background where they or their parents would know people in advertising. Yeah. I, I just didn't. When did you, were you always writing? Were you always coming up, uh, being creative? And I think like a lot of us, yes, a, a lot of us who ended up as copywriters, it was my th one thing at school that I was confident in and you know all the kindest teachers would say you should really steer yourself away from some of the math and science things yeah 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 <laughs> uh but yeah it's, i i liked it and it was a way to make a living and i remember a friend of my parents as i was sitting there reading the back of a cereal box mm -hmm. saying you know um you know at breakfast time saying you know somebody has to write that yeah somebody has to put those make up those words that are yeah. in there and i thought oh i could do yeah. Oh, and you, you you made that connection. I did. I mean, I probably up until then I thought Captain Crunch wrote it himself. Yes. I don't know. I you think know? he does. He, does. he yeah. in his case he does. Pretty he's, sure he does. He he's gets, got <laughs> he gets a bunch of crunch berries, he goes in a room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that was the unlikely way I made that connection. Otherwise, you know, like a lot of folks that you and I have worked with over the years, um, I would freely admit that I, I wouldn't have had a clue what to do. Yeah. You know, what did you go to college for when you did go to community college? Communications. Yeah. Um, so journalism, you were thinking. Yeah. And I, PR, and I uh, writing journalism because we all came. I came out of that era of all the president's men. And so yeah. it was an honorable thing to look at maybe doing that. Thank God I wasn't a newspaper man. <laughs> it became a more perishable career than, you know, traditional advertising. Really. Yeah. But it's crazy. Yeah, it was um, just communication stuff. In fact, I got. Through Normandale Community College back there in Bloomington, Minnesota, I got a, an internship at an ad agency, tiny, right, literal mom and pop place. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I was able to do it. Yeah, and right away, I I was able to sit down and just write tons of happy. How, how did that? How did how did that come about? What did, what was why was it so easy for you? Because you were writing in school and uh, you know I think my mother was a school teacher and yeah. somewhere very early on you know imprinted on us a, a real 
uh, grasp and respect for language. Yeah. And uh, I never struggled with some of the same, you know, Robert's Rules of Order stuff that other people did because it felt very natural. Right. So I think, I don't know, it was... It was easy, and again, it was like, what else are you going to do? I yeah. literally was digging holes uh, at my dad's construction firm, or the, the one he worked for. They got me on a labor crew, right. and I did that for two summers, and, and and actually the better part of a year, the second year um, uh, during college. And yeah. I just thought, you know, nothing cements a kid's yes. uh, uh, attitude to get the hell out of a hole yeah. uh, like yeah. that does. Yeah, so, yeah, that that sort of taught you like, okay, this is the alternative. If, yeah, uh, you you're yeah. gonna be digging around sewer pipes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so you you go to community college for, and then when you got the internship, is that when you're like, maybe I should drop out and just do this? Yeah, or? yeah, it was uh, be, because a couple of people who worked at this little place said you could do this now. Oh, and, wow! And, you know, you're so it was the encouragement of other people. Yeah. at the place. Yeah, and and. You know, I don't give that advice to young people now because I think, you know, school's got a lot more to offer than just the career you're going to end right. up in. But, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, I've got five kids and they're all, uh, three of them have matriculated through yeah. college and two more are on their way, one one right now. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's, for me, it made sense. I could go make a living instead of spending money on college. I was paying my own way. Yeah. Back then you could. Like, you right. could literally work a couple jobs during the summer and then one during school. Yeah. And pay for most most of your own bills. Right. Uh, and I did. So, yeah. I, I, I wanted to turn that the other way and have an, an income rather than an outgo. And Yeah. Well, that was, know, that was smart and, and wise and... and um, but then you must have been uh, being so young. There's a lot of things you have to learn in that first job. What were some of the things that that sort of were hard for you in that in that first job? What was hard? Um, deadlines. Yeah. You know, um, I I just worked my ass off in fear of missing a deadline. Yeah. And uh, and I didn't miss any really. Right. Um, and I think that was probably though the toughest part. It's just the discipline of it. Yeah. You gotta sit down, you gotta really get after it. Yeah. And getting used to the idea, as I'm sure you would understand, you know, you walk around twenty-four hours a day. Every waking moment you're thinking of what should that line be or what mm. should that how should that script end or yeah. you know, what how would that be cast in a way that's unusual or yeah. fun. And you know, I think there were a lot of family dinners where I would just be off in outer space thinking about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And getting used to that, well, for, and for the people I lived with, yeah, uh, was probably the biggest thing because you're not 100% there. Yeah, because you're, yeah. you're so focused on, on uh, coming up with more ideas. Yeah. And, and your family can get the idea that it's because it's more fun. To, right. Yeah. You yeah. know, think about yeah. those things, then talk to us. Yeah. Um, and in some cases, it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There's a goal to it, right? There's yes. a. Uh, I'm getting to somewhere. And, and, yeah. Um, and I'm not going to get my butt kicked for not having an idea. Right. Yeah. Um, so you're working at the little place. How long were you were you at the the mom and pop place? That was, you know, a matter. I worked at two or three tiny places for two years and then uh, was on the labor crew and sent, uh, I got a call from somebody um, that Fallon had won some business, some right. real business. Yeah. It was a phone company. And 
I literally I made a portfolio on yellow legal paper in my own drawings over wow. a weekend and sent it to them and um, and they had me in and they needed somebody. I mean, it was yeah. one of those things where show up for the interview no matter what because I think that morning they'd gotten news that they were going to be doing a crapload of collateral for this phone company and they yeah. needed a kid to just write body copy. Yeah. And uh, but the place was exploding. So within you know probably six weeks or three months anyway, I was writing radio spots and yeah. you know helping in TV campaigns and things that I had no business doing. I, right, but the necessity was there, you know. And so. were there people that were like, "Who's this kid? What's he?" Well, and no, everybody was pretty. You know, what was it like at Fallon McGilligan in, in those days? How many people were there? Well, I think there were about twenty-five when wow. I showed up. Yeah, and. Uh, to me, it was like, even then, it was like walking into hallowed ground because they were on TV and people were, there were news reports about this right. little agency in Minneapolis that had these these grand um, ambitions. And uh, and their commercials were really unusual and fun. And like what everybody were some was of talking, the, some oh, of the they had one where chickens were parachuting into, you know, Minnesota from other states and, you know, versus this wonderful homegrown chicken that you could buy, Golden Plump. And I remember just, it was amazing. The The production values were really fun. And right. I, think, I think Tom had done a great spot with Joe Settlemeyer at the time that was a little less Settlemeyer than, you know, the ones we remember from Federal Express. And yeah, it, was, yeah. uh, it was for Mr. Coffee. And uh -huh. it was just people hurling coffee pots, old-fashioned coffee pots out of an apartment building. Yeah. But, you know, it, I think it was Ride of the Valkyries for, you know, the, right. the track, and it just felt really big. So, yeah, and I'd, I'd walk down in the really cockroach-infested basement of their little <laughs> office at the time. It was next to a diner. Yeah. So when they'd spray at the diner, all the cockroaches would come in <laughs> our place. But here were the props from, you know, these commercials I'd wow. seen on TV. And, you know, you're 19, and you just go, holy crap. Yeah. Somebody does this stuff. Yeah. Somebody makes it up in their shower, you know, at their dinner table. And Minneapolis being so far away from L.A., how did they how did they make that? Because back well, then it was you kind of had to go to L.A. or no? Yeah. Or, no, yeah. they did. You know, there were production companies in town. But, you know, one of the things that Fallon had uh, was this sense of they were a national agency from, you know, <laughs> right. just this arrogance. Yeah. You know, that 25 people walking around, we're the deal. You know, yeah. we're the shit. So, you know, we'll go shoot wherever we want to and we'll get these clients to pay for it. Right. And, you know, there were great salespeople who could get that done and yeah. create the opportunities. And like you said, Tom was a figure that was just really, um, people really felt like he had a vision. And, yeah. and so. What was uh, that vision? What was, what was his. Uh... To be scally. At the time, yeah, to be uh, which was in New York, Emirati, right? To you know, so the people that he admired, the Madison Avenue place, yeah, it was. Why would you not do that? Yeah, why, why would you settle for you know? And he introduced a bunch of people to things like the one show annuals and CA, right. and suddenly it was like, oh, why wouldn't you? Why yeah. geographically couldn't you? And of course, now there's less reason for that than ever. Yeah, right. People can be anywhere. People can be anywhere. Yeah, yeah. literally anywhere. Yeah, uh, and that's part of the reason we do this. And and I know that you're. I want to talk about diversity and 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 inclusion. Yeah. And and you're a big believer in that. You've been a big uh, cheerleader of that over the years. And it's sort of the, one of the reasons we do this podcast is so that more people can hear the voices and yeah, hear the stories of the people that have done it. Um, and like you, uh, I, I came from a blue collar background and, yes. and yeah. uh, a blue collar family. And 
um, finding this industry, I always, I always think, wow, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy. Cause, uh, yeah. I, I had to go to FIT cause we didn't have any money to do anything else, but, um, but I want more people to find that. So, um, but, but let's stay with, uh, Fallon McGilliga. How long were you there? Well, the first time was five years. Yeah. And then I got a call to be a big old senior vice president, creative director at, you know, 28 years old and in, wow. um, uh, Boston. At mm-hmm. Hill Holiday, mm-hmm. and I, it was tough. You know, it was a real eye opener. They were a great agency. I just had been coddled, yeah, in a way back there, and and needing needing to run a group. It was a real challenge, but I had some fun. Yeah, spent a few years, and then I got a call from Tim Delaney, who was this, um, I thought genius copywriter over in London, mm-hmm. and he had a small agency called Legus Delaney, and mm-hmm. he he admired sort of the American approach to advertising in in the classic sense. Right. Uh, and they were doing some brilliant work. He and a, a partner of his name, Steve Dunn. Uh, so I went over and worked with them for two years. And mm-hmm. it was like starting, I, I went as a copywriter. You I had to re- take a demotion. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they they paid well. You sure. know, like it wasn't, wasn't like you were going to starve. But they, um, I just really learned a lot from yeah. him. Yeah. Had to relearn it. Relearn it. Yeah. yeah. And especially the, like, that's back when it was popular for a few moments in London to write thousand word ads. Right. So to be able to ostensibly sustain somebody's interest for for that, yeah. that long about, yeah. you know, maps from Ordnance Survey for rambling, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah, just, yeah. Uh, it was an education and I learned a ton. Yeah. Um, how did you make the move from, um, so I'm, I'm, at Fallon, you weren't really running anything. You weren't no. sort of sort of leading people. How do how do you how do you go from being the sort of uh, superstar creative who wants to make his own stuff and make his mark in the world to being uh, somebody who's serving others and and you know, helping them uh, get better? I didn't struggle with that the way some people do. Yeah. I will say, and I'm not a hundred percent sure why, but I think anybody. I, I wanted them to have the responsibility for doing something great. Um, you know, there were times I'd get involved if we were in a pinch, but I was just another guy throwing stuff on the pile. Yeah. And it was much more egalitarian than some of the um, some of the styles I've seen other leaders have, which, by the way, also work yeah. uh, for them. But I think... Um, Who did you learn that from? Did you Was that something you, you modeled after Tom McElligot or... You know, no, I, I honestly, I can't think of another uh, creative director I worked with who, who could be that, um, it's your deal about it, and I'm just going to help sell it. And mm-hmm. I really wanted to work in service to the folks who were doing the work. Yeah. Maybe to a fault, you know, like I should have pushed them harder or whatever. Right. But at the same time, I think a lot of people I creative directed ended up doing some amazing work because they there wasn't a net. You yeah, know, I wasn't going to jump in and try to save it all the time. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, it, I'm not sure why I was so open to that. And certainly when I started taking over administrative stuff, when I so I went back to Fallon from London mm. and then spent 10 years there, right yeah. up until 2000. And we sold to the French at the time. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, and then did an agency of my own for five years with the spoils of that yeah. thing, which was a trip and really fun. Yeah. And I, I mean, there were some fantastic people who came through that agency. Um, 
and then ended up going to Carm or to Ogilvy and then back to Carmichael then for 10 years. Right. But I was running it, you know, like I ended up yeah. CEO there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of a 300 person agency and you can't intervene and keep a great creative talent running things. Right. 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 If you're going to say, well, by the way, I think it should be this. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't want to be that guy. I just never right. wanted to be that. So I had, I went kind of cold turkey there and yeah. I, you know, it was nice. People, At Carmichael Lynch. Right. That's people would come it. and say, gonna... what do you think? Yeah. Um, and then in most cases, ignore it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they would ask and it made me feel good. Yeah. Uh, but I always felt like people did their best work when they thought it was their work. Yeah. What do you look for? What did you look for in a creative when you were, when you were, um, how did that change? Like when you were, when you were hiring people at, 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 uh, Hill Holiday or at, uh, and then, and later on. And yeah, I, I feel like early on when I was hiring people, I was trying to hire in my own image or in my, you know, here's this narrow band of what I think is funny. Right. You know, headlines, yeah. you know, people uh, that were like you and, or, and I just like slipped and said and, what I think is funny, what I think is good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I narrowly felt at first, like, well, how funny are these people? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think I've opened that aperture up over the years of mm -hmm. necessity. And then of course we all got to, well, maybe what I'm not, I'm looking for isn't a traditional copywriter, art director sense of things. And yeah. You get, user experience people involved and so it, Tech it broadened and, but yeah. by then i was i was out of the direct hiring world thank god <laughs> for creative so yeah. um i let other people figure that out yeah um and what is the difference between uh being a chief creative officer and then being ceo president well i guess what? i think you you have to at that point say i am not going to be involved in the creative decisions i'm going to work 100% in service of making an environment where great work happens yeah. or can happen or doesn't yeah. die as yeah. often. And that goes to client relationships and processes in the in the building. And, yeah. you know, I, I was fascinated by that challenge. And that's what eventually brought me to the diversity yes. piece. Um, first, it became part of my job when right. I took over at Carmichael. It was right there from IPG is this is this is one of the things that you're graded on. Yeah. And IPG was extremely hands off with Carmichael and maybe four or five other agencies that they refer to as the independents. Right. Not sure why you're still the owned, independents but, we own. Right, right. These are the independents um, we own. But they I think the distinction was you didn't report up through another agency. Okay. You reported right to those folks. And yeah. Yeah, here it was on my to-do list to diversify this lily white agency, mainly male. Yeah. You know, we was a bunch of guys scratching themselves making motorcycle ads when I showed up. Yeah, yeah. And Harley happy Davidson. to do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um but you know, you could the, the first challenge I had was to make it diverse in the sense of some other disciplines being represented. Yeah. Digital. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. it was a real challenge. Yeah. Uh, design was always chalk and cheese with the art directors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I got introduced to kind of our human um, tendency to to give the Heisman to anybody who represents a different point of view, let alone looks different from us or is different gender or what mm -hmm. have you. Mm -hmm. The Heisman being the push away. Yeah, the, the, uh, get, yeah, yeah. Not the award. we got that. We're <laughs> yeah. good. Digital yeah. guy. Yeah. Go over there. We'll tell you when we want you to sprinkle yeah, some yeah, shit yeah, on yeah. this, our, our ideas. And, yeah, we'll, you know, let, we'll let you know when we're ready. Yeah. Right. And yeah. We whiffed on that one terribly, like yeah. twice. We had probably 
good people come in to tell us what to do. Well, we didn't listen and we told them what to do until right. such time as the relationship didn't work. A lot yeah. of my managers would come to me and say, yeah, they, you know, she doesn't fit or yeah. he's, he's a pet. He's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Is that the red flag when somebody says, well, she doesn't fit or he doesn't fit? Yeah, That's yeah. like, wait, what do you mean? Yes. Um, and what we started telling our managers is hire the bad fit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. well, or don't think about fit. Think about contribution. What yeah. is it you're asking from this person? And that can be a different perspective. Right. This is a very senior woman in a, in a creative director role. Yes. And we don't have that perspective on anything. We don't, yeah. that's not in the room. You know, at one point that was true at right. Michael. Right. I think it's true a lot of places, yeah. certainly with people of color and yeah. um, non-white Hispanics. Um, I think, you know, what you learn is uh, if you're looking for somebody who who in the interview just feels simpatico with everything. Right. That that is a red flag. Yeah. And it's so counterintuitive. I hired yeah, for twenty it's... years based on I like this guy. Yeah. I like this guy. I'd have girl, a beer with him, know? sort yeah. of a sort yeah. of a thing. Yeah. Um and uh maybe they don't drink beer. <laughs> maybe they you know, maybe not. Maybe they drink tea. But um the so how do you push past that human Because uh, I think it is uh we call them inherent biases because yeah. they're uh you don't see them. They're you know, I think that this is the way the world is, yeah. and I don't even know that I think that. Um, so, how do you teach people to push themselves past that? And and yeah, I think one key is to have multiple people interview. Yeah, if you want to just get down into some of the mechanics that we advise people on, yeah. multiple people interviewing, but more importantly, not freaking talking to each other between the the interviews. Ooh. I had more instances where I typically would have been the last interview of the day. Yeah. And I had a bunch of instances where three people would just, yeah, you know, she's not. Yeah. Right for us, don't bother, you know. Yeah. Um, go ahead and go to lunch or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, we learned to, again, question that. Mm. Uh, not talk to each other. Mm. Let people come to their own independent conclusions. Yeah. Uh, make notes. Um, you know, dumb, boring stuff like try to ask the same questions. Mm -hmm. Several people ask the same questions and see what you think of the answers independently. So that's part of it. And then just coaching our, our own folks to say, um, to to look at it as how is this person going to come in and bring something new mm -hmm. to us that we don't have? Right. And if you look at the advertising marketing business over the last 10 years, you know, it there are now you know, up to 50 different roles in bringing a marketing campaign to life, creative roles, yeah. you know, yeah. if you allow people to be right. creative and not just functionaries. Yeah. So if that's the case, you're going to need, you're, you're buying different points of view, different skill sets. Yeah. And we're just not, fun you know, as humans, we, we aren't comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah. It takes humility to be like, well, we don't know how to do this yeah. and you do. And we want that here, but we don't know how to use it yet. And yeah. like, like all of these sort of um, the just vagaries of like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know what, how to use you yet. But, exactly. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's a really honest problem for people. Yeah. I used to think, well, oh God, this is people protecting their turf and, mm -hmm. you know, we can't let digital be important here or I can't go make television commercials right. anymore, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's that thought out. And 
And the reason I say that is because some of the folks I saw struggle with this the most were people who I knew to be progressive mm. and all about, you know, opening up the aperture and making this a, a, a much more varied and diverse approach to marketing, but they couldn't get past their own gut feelings. And mm. if you look at the way you probably still judge work, and I judged work for many years, is it's, how does it feel in your gut? Mm. And if it feels foreign and not familiar, you know, it's just got two strikes against it. Yeah. So it's very difficult to, to just trust, because at some point, as a creative director, you don't feel like you're doing your job. Right. I'm not asserting my own opinion here, my own authority, my own um, gut instincts. Yeah. And uh, once again, I think the way that the practical way people could get around this is to ask a couple of other folks what they think. And I had an interesting experience um, the young woman named Maggie at Crispin. Mm -hmm. She came in from uh, uh, Chipotle to help them with, you know, some of their DNI stuff. And, mm -hmm. and she uh, they implemented the thing for the ECDs. They're looking at books of young people. Mm. Uh, when it was somebody who represented some kind of diversity, mm. um, they had a, a bit of a panel, you know, four or five folks from throughout the agency, different ranks, different roles, different backgrounds, also take a look at the work. And then just conference a little bit with that ECD on something that he or she might have missed or, you know, just share their opinion overall. And and it has resulted in a couple of people being hired who wouldn't have been. Yeah. So, you know, you still get to make the decision. You're still the boss. You still get to have a gut feel. Yeah. But, um, but bringing other opinions, even into that, as agencies diversify enough to have those folks on hand mm -hmm. to ask what they think, because they haven't traditionally been there. Yeah. Um, that's opening things up. And then part two is, all right, you are bringing somebody into an environment that's different from what they're used to or um, doesn't know what they're about. Mm. How are you going to make sure that they are listened to or mm. heard? And that all sounds very touchy-feely, but um, when it comes down to work, it's, it's can somebody speak up in a meeting? Yeah. You know, and we've all seen conversations turn on, you know, one insightful remark. Yeah. So how do you make sure that someone, regardless of rank or gender or or uh, nationality or race um, is able to say that with confidence. Yeah. And giving them, making them feel safe to, yeah. to say that sort of thing. Cause, cause I think a lot of, no matter what, uh, where you come from, when you get into this business, there's, well, these people all know what they're doing around this table. So uh, I'm a young person who right. might not. So to ask that the dumb question or the sort of uh, the thing that changes everything uh, is hard. Yeah, be scary. Yeah, uh, you know, and then and then being okay sh getting it shot down sometimes, and just being like, "Well, I said my piece, but I didn't get, you know, railroaded for it." Or, or... and I think people, you know, we talk a lot about millennials. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, we look at that a lot. That dynamic because it is a yeah. different dynamic. It's what is what is the difference between this, well, this I think two thousand eight is the difference. I think you know the fact we we. We criticize our youngest, smartest people for being somewhat transactional about their jobs and they mm -hmm. aren't drinking the Kool-Aid, they aren't going to be a lifer. And, you know, that really bothered us at Carmichael at first. You know, you aren't drinking our Kool-Aid. Yeah. So, um, but when we looked at it, we thought, okay, if, if the average tenure for a young, sharp person at an agency is going to be four years, yeah. 
let's make it the most productive four years they've ever, they'll have in their career. The you know the the most joyous and yeah. and um, energetic and and all that. And ironically, once we shifted to that and and quit resenting people for being somewhat mercenary, yeah, uh, uh, in their in their career plans, uh, you know, our turnover changed. Our I think our productivity changed. Our work changed. Yeah, things got better, but it's so they a, stayed longer. It's a bit of oh yeah, because you yeah, weren't and the good about ones stayed longer. Yeah, that was key. You know, you, we've all seen that that bad cycle at an agency where you know you have you lose an account or two. Mm. It's not going so great. There's not a clear vision. Mm-hmm. The best people leave first. Yeah, because their phone ring the most. Yeah, but you can turn that into a virtuous cycle the other way by you know creating an environment where people really do feel like they can do their best work and you survey on it and make sure you're getting it right and not yeah. just smoking something, your own right. brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, that that really changed things for us a, a lot. Yeah. What, what about with, uh, what, what did you, and this is just a sort of my, uh, for me, <laughs> but for other other creative directors, what do you do with the with the hard clients? What what are What is the... Well, I like what the, you do, which is side. for starters, you don't go out and pitch a bunch of business. Um, yeah, you just just to keep yourself busy, right? Right. <laughs> um, doing a bunch of spec work. I think you 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 guys have chosen your spots. What have you actually had to pitch two yeah. things in five years? Yeah. Well, we've had to not be paid. Uh, we yeah. if we if we do pitch, we we try to get paid. Right. And, that's uh, not that's not a pitch in the traditional sense. Yeah. To me, yeah. that is people having to value you from the start. Yeah. And so. That's why I say it's, you know, when you talk about client relationships, I think a lot of it is where did this start? Yeah. What, what were, what was the, uh, what were the circumstances under which this marriage happened? Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and then, you know, it's relationship building and mm. trying to be able to be honest. Yeah. Um, and owning it when you fuck up yourselves. Right. You know, like, I think that's. You know, I've been on the client side. I've been on the, you know, the buy side. Mm-hmm. Even as a, a guy running an agency, I would go back and, you know, have to essentially hire my creative department to do stuff. And mm-hmm. you get an eyeful yeah. about processes and things getting hung up. And yeah. it can be very frustrating for clients. Yeah. yeah. But I think if you're honest and um, uh, and and appreciate them in a way, like we had Subaru while I was at, still there at, at uh, Carmichael. Yeah. Those folks, when we would walk in a room to negotiate our annual fee, mm. they would say, you're the best agency we've ever had. We love you guys. We uh, we can't believe how great this work is. You've helped us sell some. I mean, they would start with that mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, pay us fairly. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a, a little bit unusual. Yeah. Cl- it is true that clients get the work they deserve, yeah. typically. Right. And... Um, it's not that they didn't hold us accountable, but they were, you know, they were appreciative, and yeah. it was appreciative both ways. And I think it still is. There's, and I think you 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 hit on the 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 nail on the head with it's about relationships. It's so hard to have relationships these days because yes. everything is moving so quickly, and everything is on Slack, and you know, check your email, and your your texts are going, um, and it feels like there's there's very little time to do the work. And then also have a relationship with your client and yeah. uh, outside of the day-to-day. Um, well, and I think the fealty of clients is so different now. I mean, they're going to have two or three or four creative resources that they're bringing in. I think, yeah. 
you know, we have ourselves to blame on that, uh, going back to not having everything the client needed, you mm-hmm. know, back when things really changed about 15, 20 years ago with the digital world and the net. And, and like media that. being pulled, pulled out And of, media being uh, pulled agencies. out of agencies, yeah. So I think that, um, I think they can be forgiven for having, you know, looking around for who's going to fulfill this specific need I have. Yeah. Um, better than the agency, the one-size-fits-all kind of one-stop shopping at the agency I have. Yeah. But um, but given that that is the case, I think yeah, you're right. It's not – grabbing a lunch with a client used to be like they're all in. Yeah. Now it's like – you know what? I've no. <laughs> Three weeks from now, I can maybe right, do breakfast. Right. A month yeah. from now, yeah. Let's have some coffee. Yeah. How often did you see your clients when you were when you were uh, uh, when you were at your peak? You know, I I I didn't have it on a regular schedule mm-hmm. because there were so many phone calls. Um, did you do a weekly phone tour call? out of time? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the face to face was really important. Yeah, and. There were a couple where I wish I would have spent more time with them. Right. Um, you know, I, I had trouble overcoming my own who do I like to hang out with yeah. factor. That's well, hard to yeah. hang out with people that you're like, I'm only here because they're my client. And yeah. It's, but, uh, but, and, and, but back to this whole question of how we break down the barriers between ourselves and other people, I think, you know, I wish that I knew then what I know now about yeah. Um, overcoming that. Yes. I I saw one guy talk, and I can't attribute it to him, but it was something is 10 years ago, and it, something he said stuck with me. The, the worst thing we do to ourselves is we say, I'd never do that. I'd never react like that. Mm-hmm. I'd never say that thing. Mm-hmm. And of course you wouldn't. You're you, and yeah. they're them, but, but it, it, serves to say they have a perspective and an MO, right. a worldview that just can't, uh, I can't abide. I can't, right, right. Uh, engage with. Um, yeah. And that's just not true. Yeah. You know, you can you can find a lot of common ground. I got involved with a group called Better Angels. They're based here, but um, they're trying to, after the 2016 election, they established this thing where they try to get 10 red people and 10 blue people into a room um, and started as weekends, but they it's like a three, four hour thing they do now. And it's facilitated like family therapy. And it's amazing. Wow. Uh, I went to their inaugural convention last summer and it was, um, the BBC was there and it, it, there's a documentary being done on this group because it's remarkable what people do yeah. or differently when they're face to face and can find common ground. It's uh it's the problem of social media that, you know, we're so right. um everything's edited, everything's what I want you to see of myself, uh everything is um asynchronous and, and sort of um uh apart from each other and, and lonely, really. And, yeah. and it's ironic yeah. that we we created this thing called social media and we think <laughs> This is going to bring us together. I really did think it was, you know, like, this is so yeah. cool. I remember joining Facebook and being like, oh, my God, this is so great. I can have all these friends. And and uh, I quit it uh, this past New Year's and just canceled. I bet you don't my... regret that. No, no, I don't. I'm still on Instagram because I like Me too. putting pictures yeah. up. and and But I feel like that's not as uh, just triggering uh, as some of these uh, 
yeah. these things I would see on Facebook and just be like, that gets me mad. And now I'm reacting and I've got clients to serve. I've got people that are waiting for me. I've got my kids. I've got, yeah. you know, so many things I could be paying attention to. And I'm being triggered by some some fake video or some uh, thing. And it's just, I'm being, I'm being manipulated and it just felt bad. It's, um, it's real easy to fall yeah. into that no matter yeah. what. And it, it, even in an office environment, you know, um, forgetting Facebook for a minute, which yeah. I think just... It, Sorry to pick on Facebook. No, it, it accentuates like everything. I think the there are, in the toe. people will tell you there are wonderful, remarkable social things that have been able to happen through yeah. Facebook or platforms like that. Yeah. You know, Karen, I started a Bridge. bowling league on Facebook. Bowling, well, yeah, your bowling, bowling league, league kicks ass. Yeah, it's, yeah. you yeah. know, people know about that bowling league. Yeah. So that, thank you, Facebook. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, you could probably do without some of the folks, uh, the political points of view and stuff. And I think people just, you know, more and more they're leading with their dukes. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they are reacting to something that's pissed them off. Yeah. And they are going to craft something as um, concise and impactful and maybe hurtful as they can mm. in response. And yeah. I just don't think that's... Uh, it's like writing he writing the headlines. That yeah, it's, it's a yeah. it's a punchline. And those line. of us who've done that for a living, well, we'll show them. Oh, I'm really good at right? uh, kicking the president are. in the teeth on uh, Twitter. I'm sure he he yeah. uh, reads every one. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Yeah. It's it's why he's acting out the way he is. I wish you'd stop. <laughs> <laughs> stop. Stop beating up on the bully. <laughs> right. Yeah. Person. That's that's your new thing, and, and it's my new thing, and it, it has a lot to do with what what you've done. In diversity, yeah. uh, so you you were sort of forced into it uh, this diversity thing because yes. that was your uh, thing, but it it you you saw the light in it you saw the 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 power in it when, when well that. Uh, here's I'm going to make the dirty admission here yeah I got into this really doubled down on this is going to happen mainly because it was so hard yeah. I wish I could say it was a social justice thing you know I've got my my progressive views about things, um, but the thing driving it, I didn't have a personal, I don't have lived experience as a person of color or, or a woman, but I, I was sitting there as someone meant to be leading an agency in a new direction. And in a sense, at, in this aspect, at least failing at it, mm. and it pissed me off. Mm. It was way, way harder than it should be. Mm. I thought it would be a simple matter of, well, let's just hire some people who aren't like us. Yeah. And you you start to break down why that's not happening. About a year into it just being frozen the way it always has been and everybody hiring their friends who look mm -hmm. like them. Uh, and you realize that you, you're getting in your own way a, a hundred different ways mm. um, that you're really not aware of. Uh, again, some of those progressive people that I worked with and who worked for us um, exhibited some of the most closed off and, you know, self-perpetuating uh, behavior. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's just a lot in us as human beings that makes us feel uncomfortable with it. Mm. Uh, and then there are a lot of things having to do with our networks. And, you know, I probably have more men in my network than women. I probably certainly have more uh, white people in my network than people of color. Uh, and when I look back at the folks who I worked with at two in the morning at an agency putting a pitch together um, that I could count on to come into my new agency and get her done, because mm. I've seen it, it's there are people who look like me. Yeah. So that, that network thing is really hard. And it, it 
as we encountered all of these limitations and all the, the ways that we were making it worse mm. as we tried to make it better, uh, I got a little obsessive about it mm. and started going to things like Sherm and, you know, HR stuff. Here mm. I'm a, a CEO, yeah. I'd go to Diversity Inc., you know, yeah. which is lives up to its name, man. That's a money-making machine. We can talk about that sometime. <laughs> yeah. it, you know, you get on to Cipriani Wall Street for their yeah. luncheons. Yeah, yeah. And you realize that this is, it's big business diversity. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as I looked into it, it just really pissed me off. And yeah. it felt like there's just so much work to do. And I, like a lot of people um, who had, achieve some success in their career, just thought, you know what? We're bringing along a lot more folks than we used to. And, yeah. you know, we're out there. Uh, yeah. I believe in it's this, therefore better. it's going to happen. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. It, it just, it's just not. Yeah. And people like Google, you know, they're tracking this and they're very transparent. God bless them about their numbers. But African-Americans in management, 3% in 2012, 2016, 3%. Wow. You know, and that's a company that's spending close to $100 million a year on diversity programs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are clearly things that are are um, endemic or, you know, just underneath our behaviors that we aren't fully understanding, even yeah. those of us who are, know, would who say are that's most of right it, at it, who yeah. are trying to get yeah. her done. Yeah. So, so you started person as a way to try to help others yeah. see, see what? What 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 have you found is is the is there a we start with what tipping point all the things that we thought would get things done at Carmichael that don't mm. so help people stop spinning their wheels mm. um, and and then we just get to you know three areas hiring uh, development once you do get people in how are you going to account for the fact that um, your development system isn't necessarily designed for them to succeed. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, the listening piece is really important. How, how are you learning from their experiences and how are you, how are you asking for their involvement in that? Mm. So one of the things that I, I'm a big fan of, a free one for anybody listening is, mm -hmm. you know, if you're under 300 people in an office, uh, you can establish a group that is meant to be uh, uh, whose whole purpose is to make you more inclusive. And mm -hmm. you can be inclusive in that group by not making it about your tenure. It, can, it has to be for everybody who wants mm -hmm. to be involved. At Carmichael, we ended up with 85 people in that group who opted in, and their one job, and they represented plenty of diversity in that group, mm -hmm. but their one job was to make it inclusive of everybody. Anybody mm -hmm. walking in the door has a, a better than even chance of kicking some butt here in their job. Mm -hmm. And we learned a lot from them. And it wasn't all about race or gender, it was, or, or sexuality, although we'd learned a lot about that stuff. But it was like there was a little young parents group that, mm. that uh, formed out of that group. And they, you know, they came to us and said, you know, we got a lot of moms and dads trying to do this dual parenting thing sincerely. Dad's at home, mom's on a three-week production in L.A. expressing milk and throwing it away. Mm. So dad's trying to help take care of a new baby and... You, you know, there's this thing, and it's old news now, but you can ship milk overnight. Yeah. Um, it was 90 bucks a throw probably the first year we did it. We did it five times. Um, but I think the message to our people clearly, and we saw it in surveys, was these people give a rip about young families and yeah. supporting their people where they are. Yeah. Uh, so it's 
those insights wouldn't happen. They don't come to guys in their yeah. late 50s right. running an agency like that. Right, right. Um, so that was key, having that listening piece and being sincere about listening. And then implementing that is, is fairly simple. It's like you just send out an email no saying, brainer. here's the website where you can, uh, and you can expense it. Uh, yeah. And just, just send it yeah. via it was, FedEx or whatever it, it is. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was so simple, and like I said, the, the and it cost what four hundred and sixty dollars. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I, I don't know what their annual the, is now, yeah. um, but it's you know when you look at what we all invest in um, in terms of trying to have goodwill with our employees and community, it's nothing. Yeah, it's absolutely nothing. And that's the other piece I I do think I, I preach on this a little bit, but a lot of folks run in place with the diversity stuff mm -hmm. by spending money on sponsoring events and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and so when they do, they, um, they start tallying that up. We did it, you know, yeah. here's how much we spent this year in hours and treasure here yeah. on, you know, diversity oriented things. Um, but it should be about the results. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we say that's accounting, not accountability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's really popular uh, now uh, as a PR thing, and you know, at heart, we're ad folks, right? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We do messaging, so we can we can tweak the statistics and our our investment to make it look like we are so on this. Yeah. But if if it's not happening, you guys just have to do some of the harder work of figuring out why. Yeah. And it's not as difficult as people think to turn some of those things around. You do have to be. You can't be autocratic. Right. You have to be really interested in what your people need, and then. Um, in the end, make sure that uh, anybody coming in can crush it for you. Yeah. And it is for you at the end of the day. Yeah. So why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, what, uh, two more questions. I know you, you we're coming up on, on our time, but um, when you start with uh, an, a company, uh, this person person works with all kinds of companies. Uh, yeah, that's been the. What, when you start with a company, where, where do you usually start? What's your What's your first? What are your first you, steps? You have to do an audit in those three areas I mentioned. Yeah. Like, what are some of the the Hiring, obvious things? Development that, and listening. Right. Some of the obvious things that you can do right now. Yeah. That would change that. Give us one on on hiring, development, and listening. What, um, are, what are some of the hiring? If you have a program where your people are incented to bring in friends, you know, and make recommendations. And we did, you know, there was a, you got a little money if you um, gave us a lead on a new hire and that happened. Mm -hmm. um, you got to stop that because every, their networks are going to bring you people who look like them. So right. that's a, that's a real simple one. Um, and a lot of people do it because it feels progressive and right, but it perpetuates things. Right. Um, someday the networks will be different, but Typically, you're going to get a guy I worked with before. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's usually it's a guy from the yes, usually a white guy. <laughs> right. Uh, who he's really funny. And he wears hats. He, you'll love this guy. Yeah. 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 Um, and then one on development. What's what are what, what is something uh, um, we can start or stop on development? I think ad agencies in particular are terrible, but I've seen it in other industries are terrible at letting people know where they stand. Mm -hmm. We don't, they're not always comfortable conversations. Right. Um, and and I, I think you have to, and again, we get back to a generation of people now who are, 
are very industrious and, and interested in where they stand, what their prospects are, yeah, what they'll have to do to get there. What's the you next really have to me? articulate that stuff in a way that maybe when you and I were starting out, we either didn't expect or need or right. care about. Right. Uh, we just thought, I'm going to make myself indispensable yeah. and um, kick some ass in the shows. And, right, right. Um, and that's, uh, we, we have, our, our visions are aligned, me and my employer. Yeah, you yeah. know, I think that we ask so many different things of people now. We have to be really clear about what we want, how they're going to get ahead yeah. or not. And then when it's not going, we'll tell them. Yeah. But I read something recently that, um, that you know, we tend to talk to people when there's a problem. Mm. And, you know, the pie chart was like, you know, comically all red. And mm. then this little sliver of blue, which is the compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we're afraid to give because then if things don't work out, you're going to come back and tell me, well, you said. You I, said it was going great. Right. Yeah. You put yeah. a star in the fridge that one time. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you just got to really work hard at being consistent uh, about feedback and catching them doing things right as well. Catch them doing things right. Yeah. yeah one thing I read recently is like, if you can go five to one yeah. on encouraging remarks versus crit critical remarks. Yeah. And this goes to team members too, that people are just much more productive. Yeah. Yeah. If you can do the consistent uh, uh, conf uh, uh, sort of uh, the not critical, but the, uh, the, the praise, if you can do that consistently, then every time you don't give the praise, that's almost a, a, an inherent, <laughs> you know, hey. Well, I think you, you said a right. great job this time. It's, right. it's like, uh. well, yeah, and it, but but I think you do have to <laughs> say it. Time. I yeah. think you got to say it when yeah. it's not a great job. And and I think when you do that praise, I think you said it right. You catch them doing something, right? Yeah, yeah. They yeah. aren't necessarily. Um, and then and then listening. What 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 do you mean by listening? Listening is because I think a lot of people are out there going. I'm listening. They yeah, don't talk. They don't tell me. Know, they don't tell me. You have to be really interested in these surveys, and yeah. there are ways you can have that pretty much ongoing now. Right. We used to do right. one a year, then we went to two a year. I was really proud of that, and then my successor went to once a quarter, um, just not with just the whole staff. Everybody. So it'd be like once a quarter, twenty five percent of the. Right. Employee population would right. be asked to fill out a form because you people do get survey fatigue. Yeah. But yeah. there are better ways and there are there are software uh, as a service kind of um, support tools out there yeah. that people can use to get a, a running um, read on how their folks are doing. Yeah. And I think you you know, you, you could get really interested in that. Yeah. Um but I think as leaders, you tend to kid yourself a little bit. Right. Oh, no, everybody's good. You know, that layoff was, you know, like a year ago now. Everybody's over that. Yeah, no, yeah. They're still looking over their shoulders because you haven't said anything. Yeah, yeah. To them about their own jobs. If you don't say anything, people make up stories. Yeah. Um, and I and, think we all do that. Yeah, over communicating. And then how do people uh, get in touch with you to work with with Person? And, and well, we have a lovely website, personco.com. Yeah. Please don't go to person.com. It's um, <laughs> a bunch of people with their shirts off. Yes. That um, is not you. Imagine being that personco.com. That indiscerning in your <laughs> person. <laughs> Just how about what do I need? Generic. A person. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, personco.com is. Um, Talks a little bit more about the methodology. And, you know, I did this because I do think underneath it that this is an issue we're all having more and more is just finding connections with people yeah. um, who aren't like us. Yeah. And you've said it, you know, Facebook and other things have just, in a way, made it much harder. Yeah. So, um, you know, 
ultimately, we've got to figure out how to do that. And the workplace, interestingly, is kind of the last place that we're thrown together with folks who aren't like us. If you, yeah. if you think about our other institutions, schools, certainly, and the, yeah. the way we fetishize school choice now right, and right. Um, elite schools and uh, church and you know religion and things like that. We separate ourselves yeah. every which way we can, neighborhoods, certainly. Mm-hmm. But work is a place where you're probably going to end up in a meeting with somebody you have very little in common with. And I think that's an opportunity, actually, to exercise a muscle we're, we're letting atrophy uh, by the day now. Mm. So I think it's it's good exercise for us as humans. And I think, it, you know, I had a great career. You've had a great career. Mm-hmm. We were both young guys who, you know, our prospects weren't what other people's were, maybe. Right, right. Uh, but in spite of that, we were able to, to do well. And I think you'd agree with me that that's not just all luck and talent. You know, we we um, we had some advantages other people don't. Yes. So I think it's worthwhile to make sure that they have that opportunity too. And um, so that's my social justice warrior speech of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're doing important work. Uh, Personco.com. Um, thanks for coming in, Mike Lascarbo. No, that's a riot. And, and uh, for, for telling us your story. Um, we didn't get to all the great ads that you made uh, yeah. over the years. I got to uh, tell you, I, I, I'm just it's funny I, less I went, interested in that I these went days. to relook it because I always go and do research. And um, you're sort of like me. Uh, everything you did isn't like uh, on a site where it's like, here is the thing of Michael Scarborough, all the yeah. thing he's done. You have to sort of search around and, and know. But you seem not to be, that doesn't seem important to you anymore. I like would have did, to search around. Job for it honestly yeah. you know and i had a couple of partners who spoiled me by keeping you know my old friend bob barry he, yeah he's got probably a file on everything because he was a really organized guy he had the flat files with yeah. ads yeah reprints remember those yeah yeah but yeah i found a box of them uh, recently in my class oh that must have been fun yeah it's like oh this is cool yeah. yeah i don't i just it's like why did i keep 14 of these it's like yeah no i'm afraid i i kept just enough to get the next job yeah, you know? yeah, it's always about the next thing. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me in, Tom. You made the A-list. Welcome to the A-list. You made the A-list. Now you're one of us. You made the A-list. The rich and famous. You made the A-list. Everybody else sucks. So that was my conversation with Mike Lascarbo. That was great. What a great guy. You can you can hear the the love and the joy through the uh, through the headphones. He's uh, he really is that that nice. It was great to meet him, and um, you know he's my hero. I just want to be like him. Great great conversation. This has been the A List, brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman. Thank you for listening. Please rate us and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell a friend about us. Put us up on LinkedIn. Come on. You know, share. I've been I've been checking the uh, social media. Me and Matt, we sit and we just look at the social medias, and we we don't see it. So you, yeah, you got to help us out. Come on, we're in here by ourselves. We're ta- we're sh- shouting at the wall. And if you want to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, you can contact us through adhousenyc.com. Lauren is waiting for your call. You can follow me on Twitter at Mongo Industries. I'm sorry about the shouting at the president, but you know it's got to be done. And you can check out uh, Damasimo Goldstein at digobrands.com. The A-List is recorded at Gramercy Post in New York City with the legendary Matt Stillo at the controls. 
uh, you can find their stuff at GramercyPost.com. Come on up here and, and, you know, book their time so we can't get in. So thanks for listening. Matt Still is our engineer and our producer was Casey Valigursky. And I thank them both for their, uh, their attention. Have a great day.